Welcome back to another episode of Dance Med Spotlight, where we talk about all things dance medicine. Today, my guest for this episode is Allie Christensen, a trainer and dance movement specialist out of California. In this episode, we talk about cross-training and what that looks like versus dance conditioning or sports-specific, dance-specific training. How these recommendations for programs like that might be different for adolescents versus adults, or depending on where we are in sort of the cycle of the year for a dancer. We talk about how we can help adult dancers who maybe are getting into dance for the first time, making sure that they're being well supported. And we also talk about some general trends and things that we've seen change through our lifetimes, both as young dancers in training, all the way up through now in our professional lives and things that we are happy to see changing and what we wish still might change in the future. Be sure to check out this episode to get a lot of great information. Welcome to another episode of Dance Med Spotlight, where we talk about all things dance medicine. Today, I have a wonderful guest with me, Allie Christensen. She's the owner of Align Fitness by Allie, a trainer, dance movement specialist, and a dancer herself. Welcome, Allie. Hi, Alyssa. Thank you for having me. Let's start off with maybe talking a bit about some of your history with dance and what brought you to where you are today wanting to work with dancers? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I have a typical story of a lot of dance professionals, especially in the medical and training field. Um, I trained in classical ballet, modern contemporary uh, at a smaller studio in Utah, and then ended up training with Ballet West for a couple years at their academy. And I jumped into a training program at Lines Ballet in San Francisco, and then went into Israel and did something with the Kibbutz Contemporary Dance Company. While I was there, I injured my hip, I tore the labrum in my hip, which probably now, knowing what I know, was something that was happening long before, as I think about that impingement and pitchy feeling inside of my hip, uh, but it took full effect when I was in Israel. So I came back and when I went to finally see a professional, this was 15 years ago, I saw three orthopedics that told me surgery meant that by the time I was 30, I'd have a hip replacement. And it just didn't make sense to me because they all said that movement caused this, but there was nothing I could do to prevent it from happening again and again. So I decided to go on my own journey and see if I could figure out how to change my movement so that I didn't have to get surgery. And that's kind of where it led me to today. So I stopped dancing professionally at that moment. And it did take me a while to figure out what was going on with my hip. Uh, 15 years ago, we did not have the sports medicine community in the dance world that we have now. Uh, it was unheard of. And I knew nobody who understood dancers and the movement that we needed to accomplish. So it took me quite a while but I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the knowledge and what I had to find because now that is so much centered around what I do with dancers as a trainer and assisting dancers to find the outlets and places and professionals to assist them so their injuries don't turn into uh, career ending or dance ending things for them. Mm -hmm. I think you hit the nail right on the head too, where so many of us who are in this area have some sort of story like that, because I know I, high school dancer injured, 
and didn't get great advice. And then in PT school, started figuring out what was going on with my body and then eventually decided, hmm, maybe I can turn this into something yeah. um, by blending what I knew as a dancer and what I was learning as a professional. So I totally get that story and that journey. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I think it's a great driver for those that want to stay in the dance world of how can I contribute in a different way? But I think it's way too common. Like I, I really feel a little bit of a heartache when I hear other people like you and other people in the profession that it's like, oh man, we got the short end of the stick by not having the availability and then not knowing how to handle dancers. And now I feel like we're in such a great place where when you can find a dance professional like yourself, we, you have so much more possibility of staying in the movement and staying in the art form that you love, whether you're a recreational dancer or uh, striving to be professional. Yes. And I think that point of whether you are recreational or wanting to be professional is important to you. I think sometimes what I'll see is more of a drive for support from dance medicine specialists for the competitive dancers at a studio or for a dance company, but not necessarily for the people who have no plan of this becoming a professional thing for them, but just enjoy dancing because they enjoy dancing. Yeah. Tell me a bit about what dance movement specialist means for you and what you do. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I feel like I didn't make it up, but I kind of just said, I think this is what I am. Um, you know, I have my training qualifications and to the average person, when someone asks me, what do you do? Oh, I'm a trainer, like, I, you know, and we, we have an idea of what that looks like. And I actually find that a lot of people have kind of a negative feeling about the word trainer. And I understand because I have seen and worked with a lot of people that I'm like, I don't know if this is worth my time or I, I don't feel better coming out of my session with you. Um, but for me, the knowledge that I acquired and continue to acquire and strive to reach for is combining that trainer, the how do we perfect performance, but with a specialty mind frame of dance movement. So how do we take those two worlds and push them together? And dance movement specialist seems like the right type of word for it. Uh, I do have all the dance training and I have dancers who, uh, especially once we start working together, when it comes time for performance or competition season, they say, hey, can, can we actually get in the studio and can we look at how we've been taking all of these cross training movements and how do they actually apply into my dancing? And that is something that I, try to mesh together in a training session when we do a one-on-one. -on -one. But sometimes when you have that competitive piece, it's just, okay, what can we do to make this specific movement better lines, better alignment, and also painless, no injuries, and how can we use our training session to do that? So I think it was something that I mushed together. And I think that we're going to actually see more people who kind of fall into that self-appointed, but then also created category, um, especially ones when we are working with dancers who are on the cusp of coming into injury. So they don't have anything yet, but you can see that these movements might be causing something. I think there's a category needed and I'm hoping that I'm feeling that and I hope other people can feel that as well. 
Thinking about this idea of cross-training for dancers or cross-training versus dance-specific training, dance conditioning, talk to me about the, the difference between those ideas, first of all. Well, cross-training, as far as I understand it, uh, is something in a movement. Let me say it this way. Cross-training is something that's different than the sport that you do. So uh, football players take ballet because it's different than what they do. Then we have sports-specific training, which we in the dance world call dance-specific or dance movement. And that's the sport that you do all the time. So a football player works on quick footwork. They work on their agility. They work on their ability to tackle and move forward in space because that is sport-specific to them. Dancers do things that are turned out with straight legs in mobile, flexible positions on their toes. We have a very specific vocabulary that is sport specific to dance. I, I see now that we are gratefully accepting that cross training is needed for dancers. I feel that it is finally here. You may not be doing it if you're listening as a dancer and maybe your studio isn't quite up with having that available to you, but it's coming. And I'm seeing it in so many small studios where the interest to have somebody come in and provide cross training is there. Mm -hmm. The next step that I think we are making in this community is understanding that cross training and sports specific or dance specific work are different. And we're, I'm seeing a lot of trainers or um, people who teach these classes that are doing sports specific movement primarily. The reason I, I bring that up and I don't, I just want to make sure that we know what we're doing is that if you dance anywhere from two to 30 hours a week, you are getting sports specific movement every single moment you're in the studio. Yes. So yes, you should work on your arabesque and your turnout outside of the studio, but you are just adding to the column of sports specific work. Cross training for dancers is something that looks completely different than dance. And you might be looking at it thinking as the dancer, I would never squat like this, that we don't do squats in ballet class. We don't do deadlifts in ballet class. We don't use weights in ballet class. That is so true. And that's why it's considered cross training. And we know now in the sports medicine community that dancers need this. And we're starting to see big companies like the Australian Ballet and Royal Ballet they are making every single dancer lift weights, cross train, move things that weigh their body weight. So we're here. We just need to now understand the difference between the two. Definitely. It's been nice seeing that evolution over time where, again, growing up as a dancer and even in more recent years, seeing that a stretch and strengthen class at a dance studio is working through a TheraBand with your feet. And then it mostly turns into turns and leaps for the rest of the class yeah. and not so much of true strength training and, and cross training with things. And I am starting to see some change in some of that, see more, you know, walking into a studio and seeing the pile of dumbbells and things like that, that they now yeah. have in the studio. And it's like, yes, <laughs> I'm happy to see these. Things. Yes, I know. It's so nice to see more than uh, a TheraBand when we, when we bring up cross-training or conditioning. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Um, let's see. Let's talk about maybe sort of the, the dosing of some of this stuff. 
what what does this cross training and outside training maybe look like for a dancer? You know, I get asked that all the time, and I I want everyone to understand that there is a reason you search out a a personal trainer, meaning someone you personally work with, or you search out your PT, and it's because. This is such a broad question and to really specifically answer this, we can't. But um, I think that most dancers, I would just off the top of my head say 95% of the dancers that I work with, both who have um, professional aspirations, are professional dancers or are falling into the recreational category. We do, uh, I would say that having two plus hours of cross training a week if you are serious about your body feeling good in dance that means uh no achy joints seeing increase in mobility being able to uh, accomplish the movements without discomfort or pain uh and then obviously get better in your technique i'd say around that two hour mark is a really nice place to start but if you're dancing 30 hours a week in that sport specific movement there's probably a higher amount of cross training that needs to be accomplished, in my opinion. And the ca caveat to that is that it doesn't have to be intense, hard, sweating, heart rate up at 140 plus. It's movement that you don't do in the studio. So going for long aerobic walks or riding your bike to the beach, those things do add to the column and they count. And I think that sometimes as dancers, we think it has to be so intense all the, all the time. But if we need to add more hours of that, there is such a variety of movement available to dancers because dance is so specific. So we, when you work with someone, there's an amount that we're looking for to see a change in the way your muscles support your body. And then there's also just normal human function. And if you are not going for walks regularly, if you're not doing things barefoot out of your point shoes that are locking your feet in, uh, if you're not using uh, a little bit of aerobic quality in your life, then those are simple things we can add in that don't feel like you're tipping the scale so far in uh, the movement category when you've done so much work each week. Mm -hmm. With that cardio category too, it's interesting when we actually look at some of the research that's been done and looking at even elite level ballet dancers in a company, they get, you know, microscopic amounts of true cardio work mm -hmm. where they're working at a sustained elevated heart rate. And so, you know, it can be easy to think, yes, we are working hard when we're in dance class or rehearsal or something like that, but it may still not be enough for what is recommended from the cardio side in particular. Yeah. I remember the first time I did um, more of like a full length piece on stage where it wasn't just like a five minute chunk. And I was like, I am going to die. And I was in the best dancer shape of my life. Like we were dancing 10 hours a day. You know, there was so much going for me in that category. And I, I strongly remember that moment going, oh, this is, this is what I've heard. This is what I've taught. You know, we've talked about with the anaerobic aerobic. I, I cannot go this long. So it happens yes. for a lot of dancers. And uh, as you, as you go to perform daily activities, I would say like going for a hike with your family or trying to swim from point A to point B, not even with <laughs> any type of form. If you're feeling like that was a lot of work, that would fall into just our normal cross training. Are you an, a normal human? Can your body accomplish normal human activity? 
when you are an elite dancer or a dancer that trains really hard, if you can't accomplish these daily tasks, there's an imbalance in what's happening. And I think that that is the first thing we could tackle if you're looking at um, kind of that aerobic quality that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that really got brought to light for me personally doing swing dancing, because mm. that's something where, you know, you're dancing for an entire song. Sometimes on a busy night, I might dance 10 plus songs in a row and, you know, watching my heart rate monitor, it's, it's staying up at a pretty good height and going back to some of my regular dance classes, then it's like, oh, I feel like I'm not working as hard, at least, you know, from that cardio capacity yeah. um, compared to when I was doing swing dancing or something like that. So it's interesting, even from style to style, some of the differences you can see in all of that too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I work with a classical Indian dancer that, um, came to me with just some knee, you know, like my knees don't last as long as I want them to in class. And I've done a little bit of classical Indian dancing. I would not say training, but I understand the movement. What I did not understand is that they're on stage moving for 40 minutes to 90 minutes at a time. And when I learned that farther into our sessions, I was like, oh, we got to change our approach. Like this is way different than what the typical ballet jazz contemporary dancer experiences. And we had to kind of, I had to make a switch because I was not taking into account how long she had to stay on stage moving. Definitely. Thinking again of sort of this idea of dosing workouts and that sort of thing. I know I've also seen recommendations where maybe throughout dance season or sort of the cycles of the year, since we never truly have an off season most of the time, True. even having variability of how we're training, if it's more performance heavy, competition heavy versus just sort of a, a normal week or a lighter week for us. Yeah. I, I mean, I completely agree. And one step I would love to see the dance world make is that we have an on and off season. I feel like we're really far from that, if I'm being honest. Mm -hmm. I'm, I think you agree. <laughs> but I would love to see that we have an off season and that they kind of require dancers to not take class for a month, two months, whatever it is, you know. So that would be my my wish for the dance world, but I don't think that one's gonna happen. I uh, but I do I do always take into consideration what our goals are and what season of life we're both in as a human and a dancer. And I think as a, as a movement professional, it's my job to make sure that I'm taking both of those into account. So this answer for a young competitive dancer looks different than a 40-year-old mom. And I work with both. And it's pretty split within my clientele of who I work with. So this answer can differ a little bit. but. Currently, as we're recording, it's competition season, and some of my dancers have been competing since January and are still competing here in the beginning of June. Yep. They're either crazy amounts where it's like two or three weekends a month, or they're more spread out. So when they're more spread out, we're looking more at like the week before a competition. We're not going to go crazy with things that are trying to change um, technique like balance or really alignment. And I'm also not going to push them to the spot where I feel like they might be incredibly sore because they have to, their body has to be able to do what it knows how to do in two days. Mm -hmm. uh, but then right after a competition, when they have three or four weeks off, quote, quote, before competition, 
then we're going to do a little bit more of uh, that detailed trying to change things with our movement and our cross training to help them. Um, so I definitely take that into consideration. And that happens around performance time, like nutcracker time, we have to take that mm -hmm. into consideration, how much are you dancing? And what is the purpose of cross training? Is it did they come in and say my hip flexors are feeling really tight? Uh, did they come in and say I can't do this movement that the teacher's asking? Did they come in and say I want these goals to be better? So I feel like there's so many pieces to this. But one thing I've started doing with my dancers in the last few years is having them make a calendar of the whole year and starting to circle the days that are important, like Nutcracker, auditions, competition, summer programs. And then we go, okay, how long do you need to prepare for this? So we start drawing a line across so that they see, oh, well, really two weeks before is not enough. I need four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. And then you start to see, as you pointed out, there is no off season. So where are we going to give? Where are we going to make both a little bit less in our intensity as cross as a cross training activity? And where can we also maybe take a little uh, a little break in class or uh, you know dial it back, which is very hard for dancers, especially of the younger mm -hmm. age. But as an older person, as an adult, it makes a little bit more sense. And I enjoy working with adult dancers a lot because I feel like a lot of things that we're doing is how do I get better? How do I enjoy this? And then how can I still feel great when I'm 80? Because that's our goal. Yes. I know one of the things that I work a lot with some of my clients on is figuring out how to fit what they're doing, whether it's part of rehab or sort of more of the wellness category, how to fit that into their schedule. A lot of my clients tend to be adolescent competitive dancers or vocational dancers, and their schedules can be so crazy, even just during a normal week of you know, a day where they're dancing five, six hours in a single day. And so helping them figure out, maybe that isn't the best day to put in a bunch of these exercises. Right. Give yourself time, give yourself permission to have a day off where you're not pushing your body so hard and being a little kinder, still moving, but still being kind to your body when you have that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as a professional I have all these things I want dancers to do. Like the list could go on, but realistically, I I have to keep my homework for them under 15 minutes. Otherwise it won't get done. Mm -hmm. And I have to prioritize and I have to make them understand what that what their priority is that they're choosing or that we are assigning together. Your goal is higher extensions. Okay, so we have to start with the core and glutes being stronger. So yes, I know you want higher legs. And yes, I know you think that's stretching, but we gotta do this first. So tackle this and then we can move on to other things. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that I I feel like is part of our, our job, especially when we are um, co-treating or co-mingling. I work with a lot of PTs who send dancers after they're almost done with PT, but they need to get back into the studio. And I had one dancer just yesterday who came in with uh, two or two consecutive sprained ankles and wants to be in our summer program in the end of July. I was like, okay, that's a big goal. And they understand it, but they have a list of PT exercises. And 
it was good for us to sit down and say, what is the PT having you do? And I'm under trying to understand what the goal is with those exercises. And then it's saying, okay, great. Let's, we don't need to do this one from me. We don't need to do this one from me because you're already doing it in your PT exercises. Mm -hmm. And when this stops, when they stop or this doesn't feel challenging, then we can add the next step to it. But I have to kind of put some of my stuff on the back burner when they're coming to me from a PT. Otherwise, if I double up on them, they don't get it done. And then they stop doing PT exercises and they stop doing their cross training exercises. And it's just a lose-lose for all of us. So it's really important for if you are a dancer or a parent, the communication between the dance teacher, the dance trainer, and the dance PT has to be stellar. And I'm going to be honest, it's not always. I, I have to hunt down the teachers and I now have a great network of PTs, but before I had to hunt down the PT and be like, hey, listen, I'm working with this person and I want to know what you're doing. Tell me what you want me to be working with them. And uh, it's taken you know, some time to build that network. But I would say the average, that trio of people is not always there. So if you are somebody who has access to all of these, you need to get them to all talk to each other. <laughs> and mm -hmm. that will make your life easier. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, so something kind of came to mind as you were talking about that, and I'm curious about your experience or take on this. If you are working with, we'll go with that same example, a physical therapist that has been working with a dancer, have what sorts of things have you noticed if it is somebody who is more specialized in dance as a PT versus a non-specialist? Is there a difference in how you kind of have to bridge the gap and communicate um, between those two types of therapist they might be working with. Yeah, there's definitely a difference. Um, I have a couple PTs I work with who are not dance specialists, I would call them, but they are phenomenal. They understand movement. They understand to the best of their ability, the extreme range that the dancer needs to be in, but they don't, uh, they don't have the vocabulary, but I, they have proven their salt over and over. So I fully trust them. Mm -hmm. Um, and with them, it's, it's, uh, me using a little bit more of my, I'll say medical or like higher level, uh, communication with them. And also sometimes I just have to like, just say their leg is straight out to the side up by their ear and they have to hold it for 10 seconds sometimes, sometimes more. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I have to sometimes paint the picture for them, uh, in years past when I haven't had the network that I have now, I had a lot of dancers who came to me from PTs who don't specialize in dance, who their, their PT would say, and I don't think they meant this meanly, but it was, you don't need your leg to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and the dancer's like, well, yes I do. And it's life or death for them. And yeah, they do need their legs to be able to do that. But the PT, them to be able to make that, that jump, I sometimes would have to then take in and say, okay, all that strength that you did in parallel, all the strength that you did at um, kind of hip level or 90 degrees, our job now is to take that strength and use it in turnout with higher legs or bigger range of motion. Uh, mm -hmm. So 
there was always a bigger jump to be made when the PT uh, didn't have that specialized training. Uh, and then, but to be honest, sometimes I have, I've had PTs, uh, no one that I personally work with, but sometimes the dancers will find their way to me. And I don't feel like the PT took them quite as far as they could have. And I don't know why that is because it could have been, I mean, it could have been anything. It could have been mm -hmm. that the client wasn't working well with them. It could have been the client wasn't yes. doing their exercises. It could have been they were a challenging parent. And then it could have been they just didn't take them that far or there were other reasons for it. So it's it's really for me about kind of putting away my expectation of what they say when they've come from a physical therapist because I have no idea who's coming from what situation. Yeah, I think something that's important for people who may be listening to this remember, you know, if, if you are not someone who is super comfortable with the dance vocabulary or some of those sorts of things, I think so often those of us in this space are very willing to have conversations with you or, yeah. you know, sometimes I have PTs who are students of mine reach out and go, Hey, I have a dancer, you know, I, I need some ideas or what should I look at? What should I ask about? And I'm happy to answer those questions for them because we don't, you know, just like I wouldn't expect somebody to, you know, think that I know everything about being a tennis player because I certainly am not. And, and that is yeah. not my area of expertise. It's the same way going with dance but being comfortable with reaching out to somebody who maybe does have a little bit more of that expertise for guidance is a fine thing to do. Yeah. I, you know, I, as a trainer experience this often, there are a lot of things that like achy hip flexors, you know, like I overworked my hip flexors. It's like, okay, at a certain stage, that is something I am very capable of handling. And I know because pretty instantly, like by the time they leave the session, they're like, no more achy hip flexors. Mm -hmm. And then there's those times where it's like, oh, what I would normally do to help your achy hip flexors didn't work. I have to step back and say, we need to send you off to a physical therapist and let's do it now before it turns into a big injury. So I have to say, this is out of my scope. This is out of what my knowledge knows, or I expected different results. And when that happens, it doesn't mean I didn't do my job. It doesn't mean that I don't know. It means I need to bring in someone more detailed and specialized. So for um, PTs, for doctors, you know, I work in a sports injury clinic. So we have doctors in there and I'm listening and we're all doing our things all day. So I, I, I hear it a lot. It's you didn't respond. I don't, they don't say this to the client, but they're thinking you didn't respond the way I expected. So either we have the time to tinker a little bit and I feel confident in my tinkering or it's like, you know what? I know someone who's really good at this and I'm going to refer you on and I respect and am willing to send people back to those people so much more than even a, a dance specialist who drags out training because they have dance background. Mm -hmm. Just because you have dance background doesn't mean you're good at assisting a dancer. Uh, just because you dance doesn't mean you can teach people to dance. And just because you weren't a professional ballerina doesn't mean you can't teach people to dance really well. So it's just kind of understanding where our, our knowledge base is and where are we good at something because we're all very good at something. 
And I think every, I think there are people for every person's specialty of how you communicate and how you work, but we have to, we have to acknowledge where we can assist by sending them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I know for myself, there can also be some considerations where like thinking of a recent client who's come in, uh, we were suspecting a hip labral tear. And I've certainly had dancers in the past where they, you know, we had sort of the luxury of time, nothing terribly pressing that they needed to be ready for. And we could kind of take our time a little bit and see if their body's responding. Yes, they're making forward momentum in a reasonable time. Let's continue. And, you know, everyone's happy with the way things are progressing versus somebody who comes in and it's like, I have these classes, this audition, this very specific thing in a short amount of time that I need to get to that's one of the situations where I'm way more likely to say, hey, go see this specialist who's my hip guy, um, mm -hmm. you know, an ortho to get this checked out so we know exactly what we're working with to see if that's even a reasonable goal right now since we don't have the luxury of time to kind of tinker around with it a little bit. Yeah, too. timeline is so important with dancers. I mean, they're athletes and, you know, we, I know we consider them athletes, but I think that some of the dance world still does not. And some teachers don't, or parents don't always think of it that way. And it's like, mm -hmm. if you looked at a professional basketball player or, you know, a collegiate level athlete, they have something pop up and that coach sends them to the doctor instantly. They are at the ortho. The moment they feel something tweak inside their knee, there is no, like, let's just see how it feels. Yeah. Uh, we don't really have that in the dance world. We do have proactive parents who uh, decide to take that next step, but it's not, it's really up to us as the professionals to not dilly dally when things pop up. Mm -hmm. At least that's how I feel. Mm -hmm. So of course having your network and then coming back to, if you're a parent or a, um, you know, or a dancer, it is, it is really important to ask your people, your teachers, your PTs, your trainers, what kind of people do you know? <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. do you have the network to support me in the way that I need to be supported? Yes. I think something important for parents to remember too is I, I find particularly if they don't have experience as an athlete as a dancer themselves, sometimes they don't know, they don't know what they don't know. They don't mm -hmm. know what questions to ask. And so sometimes part of our session is a lot of that conversation with the parent of consider this thing, here's this recommendation, ask the teacher about this, or, you know, let's make that connection so we can have a conversation on your dancer's behalf. Um, sometimes there's a bit more education that has to happen for the parent because they don't have that experience to draw from themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you haven't worked with children, so much of working with children is working with the parents. So, you know, we talk or I, I hear people say, oh, you must be so good with kids. And it's like, well, yeah, I think I am good with kids, but I'm also good with parents mm -hmm. and I'm good at passing on what needs to be passed on. And it was, it is and was a skill I have to learn and continue to work with. And uh, I think if you're gonna work with uh, children, you have to understand that maybe even almost more of your job 
is getting the parents to understand in a very supportive way what we're trying to accomplish and what they should expect uh, mm -hmm. because they are the advocates and they will advocate for their children. But if they don't know what to advocate for, then they're just in the dark. And I, right. I'm sure you've had parents who come to you and said, I had no idea that this was a big problem because every dancer says my hips pop. Every dancer says I'm really sore. And they're like, I didn't know that this was a problem. And it's, you know, it's progressed to the point where I've had pars fractures found or, you know, things where it's like, this is a, this is a deal breaker right now. We are, they have to be pulled out and the parents can sometimes feel or have expressed like, I didn't know that that back pain wasn't okay because they're bendy and they're stretching and they're sore. They're always sore. And it's like, I know it's so hard, but this is one of our, you know, one of our jobs is teaching the kids how to understand their bodies and what they're mm -hmm. feeling as well as the parents and what the red flags are and you know what they need to be looking for outside of the dance studio as well. Mm -hmm. I want to take us kind of down a different path now and talk a bit more about working with the adult dancers. And I know, you know, I'm in some of the different Facebook groups. There's a lot of groups where it's adults who are maybe getting into dance the first time in their life or getting back into it after a long time. And a lot of times there's questions about, you know, is it even realistic for me to think about trying to get on point at some point or trying to perform? Sometimes I think there are these uh, kind of beliefs that are out there of, well, I'm an adult and there's a limit to what I can achieve at this point entering dance at this stage in life. How do you work with some of those dancers to help or, you know, what, what do you say to them in those situations? Yeah, I, well, first, first off, the dance world is changing again, and there are more opportunities for dan adult dancers than there's ever been. That being said, they're still very specific and they're very location based. So not every adult dancer is going to have the ability that I'm about to say, but there are so many opportunities now, especially now that we can be online a little bit more. And the more opportunities that are created, the more we're gonna see adult dancers on stage of all levels. Mm -hmm. I, I think it is a thousand percent realistic to think you could be on stage. Now, I, I think that we have to play that little bit of like, what are you mentally thinking of when you say on stage? Like if you are, well, any dancer, I don't wanna be on stage until I'm a prima ballerina. I was like, well, then that's probably not realistic because like we're, you know, we're not all gonna be prima ballerinas. But yeah, getting on stage, absolutely. There's so many opportunities. Catherine Morgan has so much thing, so many things. Roche Ballet has things. Uh, there's things in Australia, Balanced Ballerina. There's there's so many opportunities that are very wide for dancers. So absolutely. When it comes to changing flexibility, I think it's very possible for adult dancers to change their flexibility. Uh, we do have to have realistic goals because they have... 40, 50, 60 years of a movement pattern that may not be a mobile dancer. And it's not, in my opinion, at this point, and I always say I reserve the right to change my mind as I learn more because <laughs> you know, I hope yes. I do. Um, but at this point, I'm I'm seeing that there's so much research about like different types of spine and spines and activities. And those that excel in say football 
have a, like a different anatomy or structure to their spine and their bendability. And it's whether it's trained from a young age or it's genetic and they end up in that sport. But so dancers and certain athletes have very different bodies. So if you were a rugby player when you were younger and now you dance, which I have one of those rugby player now 50 and dancer taking ballet for the first time. It's like your body had a very different experience growing up than somebody who danced, took a break and then came back. So our expectations are going to be different, but I have not met an adult dancer that we couldn't change their flexibility in. The small caveat to that, I think, is that there is more than trying to change muscle length. So you have to find somebody who understands more of what's going on in the body. And it may not be your traditional stretch coach who's in the ballet studio. There's nothing wrong with that person. But if it's not, if changing flexibility is not working for you, there's a reason. So there's something else to the puzzle that needs to be addressed. So I've not had a dancer yet that we can't do that. When they go on points, this is one that I do feel there are some dancers, adult dancers, who may not be able to go on point. Mm -hmm. uh, there is so much of a safety factor, in my opinion, about being on point and having a certain range as well as strength. Most humans can gain strength. Not all humans can gain enough mobility to be on point shoes safely. Mm -hmm. So I do think it's very possible, but there are there are people that I feel will not safely be able to go onto point shoes. Mm -hmm. I think all of that really, again, like multiple things we've talked about so far, goes back to this idea of if you're wanting to achieve some of these goals, if you're wanting to see some of these changes in your dance or in what you're able to do with your body, it's important to find somebody, the right person to work with to help you achieve that. Because there are people who may be very good at, a, at training a certain skill, but maybe they're used to working with kids and you're an adult wanting to achieve this. Maybe it's somebody who has a lot of training in a certain dance form and more experience there that's very different from what you're looking to do. And so, mm -hmm. you know, going out and finding the right people to guide you and not just looking on Instagram or YouTube and going, that looks like a cool exercise. Let me try that. Oh um, yeah. Having the guidance is an important thing. <laughs> yes. And, you know, something that even I say, even I, but I'm always looking on Instagram for at like, what's the purpose of this? That's kind of how I scroll through Instagram. Like, okay, I'm trying to figure yes. out what, what you would gain from doing this exercise in mostly good ways. And then sometimes it's like, I'm not sure what you get from this. Uh, but I think that for every dancer, but especially adult dancers, it's really easy to look at a younger dancer who's trained in this always super flexible hips that face sideways and say, this is what I want. This must be the exercise for me. Yes. I love goals and I like having that thought of this is what I want my body to be able to do. But I think it's really important when you're scrolling Instagram to be looking for people and trainers and dancers that have similar backgrounds or movement. You can enjoy the dancers who are completely different from you. But when it comes to choosing exercises to try, just because the dancer can do a super split, like doesn't mean that that exercise will make you do a super split. So we have to be pretty, we have to use our wisdom when it comes to 
choosing what we do when we're looking on on the internet for sure. And another mm-hmm. thing I, I run into, you said, you know, finding the right person. I There are teachers and trainers and PTs who are used to working with a certain body type. And they're really good at working at that body type and throw another person in the mix. And they're wondering why they're not responding the way A, B, or C dancer. So the body type is not good or bad. It's just different. So you have to also kind of look at that if you're not getting the results that you want. You look around the, you know, the studio and you're like, these all look different from me, which is okay. But maybe I need to find somebody who understands my hips a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Definitely. At this point, I want to introduce a special segment that we have on here. So we have the final bow. This is basically your opportunity to share your take-home message. If listeners leave with nothing but this, what is this? Ah, there's so many this, but um, I would say that I want dancers and parents and professionals of all professions to know that there is a difference between cross-training and sport-specific work. And it is important for dancers to be doing more cross-training at this point in 2023. In the future, I hope that we listen to this and go, it's changed, you know, and we have to look at that ratio different. I really hope that. But at this point, uh, you can pretty much consider that dancers need to be doing more cross-trained things that don't look like what they do in the studio and be aware of the beautiful things on social media that look cool because they look dancey. That doesn't mean that they're cross-training. And then and then go do the cool dancey things that look like they're mixing everything together. There's value in that, but we got to make sure that you're getting enough things that don't look like dance for you, whatever that is, whatever style that is for you. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that. This is also your opportunity. Is there anything that you want to share with those who are listening or watching as far as ways they can find you, things that you want to promote for yourself? This is your opportunity to share all of that. I mean, sure. I, I, I am always online at Align Fitness by Ali. So you can find me online there, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all of the things are the same. Uh, I work with dancers exclusively and I work with all levels and genres of dance. I thrive with adult dancers. I love them. I I work really well with them and I really appreciate the adult dancers. Um, I have online programs. So if working one-on-one is not in the cards for you for whatever reason, I have online programs going from little mini chunks of information all the way to a year uh, Dancer Strong program where you get to work with me three or four times a week and we go through all the different dance topics from a cross-training standpoint. So we talk about how to improve your turnout with cross-training and we go through all the topics. So if anyone here wants to speak with me, you can find me at alignfitness.com or linefitnessbyali.com. And let me know that you heard me here, that Alyssa and I were talking. And if you want to have a conversation, I'm always happy to. So if anything sparked your interest, please reach out. Wonderful. And we'll make sure that all of the links to all of the things are available in the show notes and wherever things are getting posted so people can find you that much more easily. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Alyssa. This was so great to talk to you. 
Yes, thanks for being on this episode. Happy to. Dance Med Spotlight is hosted and produced by Alyssa Arms. We discuss all things dance medicine. This has been another episode from Dance Med Spotlight. The Dance Med Spotlight is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present.